0: Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. In 1938, a British baker, Tommy Edgar, came to Hong Kong to start his new job running the Lane Crawford Bakery. After the Japanese military invasion in December 1941, Tommy Edgar was not interned. Instead, he was asked to bake bread to be used in the hospitals here. One of the women who queued to get his bread would become his future wife. Their son, British teacher Brian Edgar, has been researching not only his parents' history of that perilous time in Hong Kong, but also the other Stanley Stayouts, as they were called, the bankers and medical workers, including the former medical director Selwyn Selwyn Selwyn-Clark.
1: Well, here we are in the Chapel of Christ the King in St Paul's Hospital compound. Uh, In 1916, the French Sisters of St. Paul de Chartres began, they took over an old cotton factory and they began to convert it into what some sources call a little city. Because the centrepiece for people who aren't members of the uh, order was the, the hospital. But there's also a novitiate, a convent and a school and this magnificent building was meant to be the centre of it. It was meant to be a little city with Christ the King at the centre. This chapel wasn't um, dedicated until 1930 but the, the hospital was up and running a long time before that and that hospital's been important in my life, or to put it mildly. I was born there in late 1950 but it wasn't my mother's first visit because when she married my father in June 19. 19- Forty-two. the two of them were both interned in this compound outside here.
0: Yes, we're near Eastern Hospital Road here in Causeway Bay, and we've just come around the corner, so you've got St. Mary's Church, you've then got uh, St. Paul's Hospital, and an absolute treat here. I'm not sure that I've been in this chapel before but if you do get the opportunity it's it's a lovely dome at the top and beautiful architecture inside and a a beautiful peaceful place to come so you said yes and of course this was uh, a a very important place it was where you were born Brian and uh, in terms of your parents this is why you're back in Hong Kong this is your fourth visit and you're looking at researching more about your father and his general situation that's right. Um, my mother must have so many memories when she came
1: back here to, to give birth to me because in June 1942, as I said, she married my father. Now, why wasn't my father in Stanley? Because he was a, a European civilian. He, took, he was the baker for the whole, uh, whole of Hong Kong. Uh, a time during the 1941 hostilities and he was, was captured like the rest of the, the community when they surrendered on December the 25th, 1941. And he should have been in Stanley, which uh, in January 1942 was where nearly all of the other civilians went. But my research is focused on a group probably of about 150 men, women, and children in all, people who met the criteria for being sent to Stanley, which is basically being an enemy European civilian, but they weren't. They were kept out for one reason or another. Now, the two most important groups of what uh, some people call the Stanley Stayouts were a group of mainly Hong Kong and Shanghai bankers who were kept in a a squalid hotel on the waterfront and a group of medical personnel who were kept in this hospital, either in the hospital itself or somewhere in the compound. Uh, My uh, father, for example, was billeted in the, the in the, the French convent school. Now, he has quite a... An unusual and interesting experience after the surrender he ends up in his company headquarters lane crawford uh, exchange house it was called in those days it's now so land- in central uh yes it's cool, called it's in david road i think it's part of what's now the landmark building uh, under the control of a very humane japanese captain called tanaka and Tanaka arranged for uh, my father and three other bakers to stay out of Stanley to bake bread for the hospitals. Uh, and Originally for Stanley Camp, but then they changed that to a bread ration in April 1942. Now, one of those other bakers was a naturalized Russian colleague of my father's. Two others were soldiers. Because Tanaka was a humane man. Uh, He never betrayed his country in any way, but he he made a big mistake. Uh, He was told that two of the people baking with my father were military bakers in the RASC. He was told that three times. RASC? Uh, Sorry, the Royal um, Royal Army Service Corps. Uh, He was a busy man, obviously, in the early days of the Japanese occupation. He forgot all about it. And by the time that it came on to send those four bakers, who were now baking for the hospitals, to send them here to join up with the health department, uh, to leave Exchange House, he'd forgotten that they were military personnel. And when they told him again, he said, don't, don't tell anyone I'm going to destroy your, uh, your army papers because I shall get into big trouble for not sending you off to the prisoner of war camp in Shwam Po. So my father and three other bakers end up here baking for the hospital.
0: So let's take it back a few years. Give me the names of your mother and father. Uh,
1: Thomas Edgar and Evelina Marquez de Oliveira.
0: In terms of your father, you said he was working as a baker for Lane Crawford. So Before. when did he come to Hong Kong? 1938. 1938. And, and did he then um, get a job, automa- had he got a job from England Great. out? Or?
1: Yes, he did. He, he, he lied to get this job. He, first of all, he falsified his birth certificate, uh, so he seemed older than he was. And I'm sure he must have invented some suitable experience to, to go with those extra years. He was a very skilled, hands-on baker, but I'm not sure that he had much experience in running what was thought to be one of the certainly the most hygienic and possibly the most modern bakery facilities in the far east
0: so what were the circumstances i mean was he confined to here what was his level of freedom
1: when he came here, I've mentioned the bankers as one important group of stayouts. The other important group was health workers under the Director of Medical Services, a remarkable man called Dr. Selwyn Clark. And probably on December the 25th, he was approaching the Japanese and saying, look, you know, there are dead bodies everywhere in the street. There's, there's no, decent water supply. It's all polluted. There's going to be a massive um, series of epidemic diseases that's going to hit the Japanese, the Chinese, everybody. So let me and some of my, my health staff stay out and help you avoid that problem. And because Selwyn Clark had a personal contact in the, the Japanese hierarchy, a man who knew him and admired him, he was allowed to do that. So he's Living, I think the doctors actually lived in the hospital itself. There's a small team of doctors living in the hospital, public health workers living here or nearby. And then in February 1942, the four bakers, including my father, are sent here to become part of that team because they're actually baking for the hospital, so they're kind of medical bakers, as it were.
0: Now, you're here in Hong Kong to not only research your father, but also expand uh, your research to, is it generally the people who were... Uh, Stanley stay st- The Stanley stay-outs, okay, so this 100, 150 people. And, of course, Dr Selwyn Clark uh, was a very practical, very humane man in terms of trying to sort out the health situation. He was also trying to maintain the health of uh, the, the prisoners here, uh, but he himself was an extraordinarily brave man.
1: That's right, and, yeah, you've, you've seen where this is going. You've got the health workers led by Selvin Clark, and you've got the bankers led by La Grayburn, who was the uh, international head of the Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation. Now, given that those two men, as you say, had a great deal of courage and um, humanitarian commitment, what happens is predictable. The bankers raise money, and Selwyn Clark spends it on medicine. Uh, you know, medical drugs of all kind, vitamin- vitaminized foods. Just simply sending money into the camps. Because uh, in the early days, Stanley and Sham Shui Po were pretty chaotic, and um, there, for example, another group that needed help was the the wives of the Hong Kong volunteers who weren't in turn, because whether Chinese or Eurasian, they were allowed or forced to stay out. No way of supporting themselves. So money has to be found for these people. Selwyn so Clark used to have Chinese and Indian businessmen just stop him in the street and at great risk to themselves, give him, give him give money. Him money. But of course, you know, he couldn't get enough money. He was followed all the time, so he had to be very careful. And the bankers started raising money systematically, creating, they would be called financial instruments so, uh, so a wealthy businessman could... Everybody reckoned that the Japanese would be expelled from Hong Kong eventually, so the wealthy businessman would have credit with the English for having loaned money for relief when, when they came back, and they'd also have um, a rock-solid investment. But, of course, that wasn't really why they did it. It was humanitarian reasons, because they risked torture and death to do it. So a lot of money was raised and then as I said, Selwyn Clark one of the things that's come out for me in this research trip is how much Selwyn Clark did that hasn't always been written about. Things that um, small things like, well not so small for people at the time, but he organised materials for building proper sewers in Stanley and then he organised smuggling them in. He Every aspect, really, of life in Stanley, you you can see Selwyn Clark's
0: hand in it somewhere. If we move now forward from December 1941, so your father is kept out of Stanley in order to bake bread. He's a former Lane Crawford baker, and he's here in Causeway Bay. So what was his role? He produced bread for, for the hospitals? or?
1: Yeah, they took over a Chinese bakery in Queen's Road East, and the four bakers went there every day and uh, they produced bread which was then driven around to to the different hospitals including this one. Uh, The doctors were living in the the hospital. You've got various people British, Eurasian, Indian, Chinese, European, living in the compound, although some of those people were Japanese spies, most of them were not, and there seems to be quite a happy community feel. Uh, They all ate together, and it seems from the the best account I have, that in the early days, the the general topic of the conversation was, how long are we going to be able to stay here before they sent us to Stanley? It was in June that, that things changed. In June
0: 1942? June
1: 1942, that's right. I mean, firstly, um, one of those bakers. Remember, I said there was a Royal uh, Army Service Corps. There were two men. One of them escaped, a man called Staff Sergeant Patrick Sheridan. Um, my father had a small role in that escape, and he suggested that Sheridan finance the, the money he needed to get into to free China by stealing from the japanese stores and selling it to the bakery where they were working highly risky for all of them my mother actually played a small role so i have to backtrack and explain how my mother evelina marquez de Oliveira, comes onto the scene um, soon after they start baking bread it's been maybe mid-january 1942 word gets around Everyone who my father has ever met, now the Swiss, the the Eurasians, everyone he knows who's not in Stanley, comes to the bakery and says, can you give us some bread? Can you
0: sell us some bread? So these were Eurasians and also Europeans from neutral countries. Swiss,
1: Portuguese, anyone neutral uh, who wasn't interned. Um, And it's interesting. Staff, Staff, Staff Sergeant Sheridan, who made the escape, wrote a memoir in which he said that Tommy Edgar, my dad, would not turn away his friends. And Sheridan thought that was deplorable because... It put them all at risk of being sent. in. he was still liable to be sent into Shum Shui Po, prisoner of war camp at that time. This was before he became a, a civilian. And my father and the, his Lang Crawford colleague would have gone into Stanley. So Sheridan was really very angry at my father, but he did know, and he wouldn't take a penny for it. <laughs> now, he could have charged what he liked and spent the money on the black market, but he just gave bread to his friends, which was fortunate, because I wouldn't be here otherwise, because... My mother's landlord was one of those people. And he, he said to my mother, come on, you know, we, we need bread, we need food, I know, I know a man. And you know, my father gave all his friends bread and he gave the lady who was to be my mother bread. I imagine if he'd said, no, why I'm not going to risk running into Stanley, but, but can I get to know you better? <laughs> I probably wouldn't be here.
0: My thanks to British teacher Brian Edgar. Next week, Brian tells me how things go from bad to worse, and Dr Selwyn Clark is subjected to brutal interrogation after being accused of running a spy organisation. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.